Welcome to Follow the Boat. Tales not just from the high seas. These are the podcast adventures of Liz and Jamie as they travel through the Indian subcontinent. So, Jamie, we're in Agra and we've seen the Agra Fort. That can only mean one thing. Surely it's time to go visit Taj Mahal. Well, not quite. There is one site that absolutely must be visited. It's often overlooked, however, as it's a taxi ride away from Agra town. It is called Fatapasikri and is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Fatapasikri consists of two areas. The huge Jama Masjid, the second largest mosque in India, and the Palace of Akbar, for a short while, Akbar made Fatapasikri the capital of his empire. He spent 15 years building the mosque, the palace, harems, courts, water features and other buildings and drew his influences from Persia. Akbar left this site and moved back to Agra in 1598 and it has remained a ghost town ever since. If you're considering a trip to Agra, please make a bit of space in your timetable to see Fatapasikri. I have to say it's been one of the highlights of our two-year stay in India. Where are we heading to now, Liz? We're going to Fatapasikri and we're on home on a sort of carp thing on the back of Sorry, my, uh, my army's aching here. So we're going to Fatapasikri, uh, which is a World Heritage Site about 40 kilometres outside of Agra and a very nice drive out into the countryside and parked up the car and we were mobbed by rickshaw drivers wanting to charge us 100 rupees to drive us half a kilometre up to the palace gate so we decided to walk and as we left the rickshaw drivers this very kind man here said he'd charge us 20 rupees to go by his horse trap so here we are I've had to sit in the centre to balance it out and Liz has had to sit at the back to keep it all balanced and then some young lad has jumped on I think he wants to be our guide but we don't want a guide so um, I don't, he's, he's obviously just getting a free ride up to the palace gate so there we go but today is a, a day of culture so uh, let's find out a bit more about this wonderful palace and uh, mosque Well, we've braved all the touts, all the people telling us they want to be guides, that they make their students and blah, 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 blah. And we took our shoes off to come into this enormous mosque and then realised that's probably a bit silly because we need to go through it and out the other side. So we've got our shoes in our bag. If there's a way in which they can grab your money, they will. But anyway, here we are in the marvellous Fatapur Sikri complex. And at the moment, we're in the Jama Masjid, which is an enormous mosque, absolutely huge. I haven't got the dimensions, but uh, from where I'm standing on one side, I should think the distance across has got to be 400 metres. It's absolutely huge. Um, all in red sandstone, so it's very reminiscent of the fort that we saw yesterday in Agra. And in fact, it was built by the same chap, Akbar. And he came to Fatipa and Sikri, these little villages, and it was here he prayed to have a son, and extraordinarily it came true. And so he built the fort and the mosque here, 
in honour of that event. And it, for a short while, for about 12 years, it was the main area and the um, middle and the most important bit of the Mughal Empire before it moved over to Agra. So we're looking at a huge complex here, lots of decorative, highly decorative archways and columns, lots of inlay in the walls and in the ceiling, uh, lots of domed ceilings, arched windows, and it's still a working mosque, so one has to be reverential here. I'm covered, my head's not covered, but I've got a long loose top on and trousers. Jamie's got long trousers on. Very cool in the mosque area itself, but of course the courtyard is out in the blazing sun, which is where the worshippers come and worship. So at the moment, really enjoying this beautiful mosque. So I'm out in the central courtyard of the Yamar Masid, just spoken to Jamie, and we think it's between 300 and 400 metres across. That's the size of it, so huge. And it's all in red limestone, The uh, sorry, red lam- sandstone. The floor is red sandstone, and all the surrounding buildings are red sandstone. But you know, somewhere in the middle of it is an incredibly beautiful white marble mosque. And this is the mosque that... Akbar erected specifically to celebrate the fact that he had, a, he had a son after praying here. It has a black ebony door, and if we can actually push our way through all the crowds, we might be able to see it ourselves. I'm looking back now through the door that we came into, which is the victory gate which Akbar had erected um, after his victory in Gujarat. 50, what is it? It says here, it's 54 metres high. And it sure is impressive. Lots of little onion domes on the top. Again, highly decorative on the outside. Not quite as decorative inside as the mosque area, which has got all the inlay. But very splendid. And in front of it, there's a pool for washing. Because obviously, as I said earlier, it's a working mosque. So if you're a Muslim, before you go into a mosque, you wash yourself several times. Um, You go up onto a slight platform in marble. Um, patterned floor patterned tile floor and then up through and into the mosque I can see now if we're allowed in I'm not sure as infidels if we're allowed in or not but we'll find out Right, well, we've gone into the tomb of Sheikh Salim Christie, which is the white um, marble building in the middle of the mosque. And it's very cool, as you'd expect, in the middle here, um, shaded all around with, again, stunningly carved trellised um, marble. So it's lovely and shady. And then within the trellising on the outside is the tomb itself. Again, windows with trellising all the way around. And they have this custom here of tying a thread to the trellis if they're trying to get pregnant and have children um, and there are hundreds and hundreds of threads attached to all of this trellising as we go around. Inside we saw the most beautiful mother of pearl inlay on the tomb itself and the walls I think are my favourite painted walls so far and natural looking flowers in deep dark colours which haven't faded at all because it's just constantly dark in there. 
Everywhere we go, though, there are hundreds of people. It's the way of India. But, and most of the time we can deal with it but just sometimes it gets slightly on your nerves I had to wear a scarf which is easy enough because I always bring one with me but Jamie was made to wear a horrible plastic skull cap which of course was too small for his head and uh, he wasn't very happy about it but he went in and he managed to see it as well Behind the tomb, um, there's a series of rooms, again, with all the usual decoration one would expect. But these rooms are full of tombs and graves. Uh, and there are no dates, well, there are no dates that I can read, and there isn't anything telling me what they are, but I would imagine that they date right back to Akbar's time. Uh, and here is the gate to the tunnel which supposedly runs all the way to Agra. And it's probably be quicker to go that way than it did come by taxi this morning. This is all open and anyone can walk around on, over, around and between the tombs and the graves, which I find a little surprising. I would have thought that for everyone's sake and for the sake of the state of this place that people wouldn't be allowed to walk on the tombs it's rather disrespectful and whatnot we've even got people selling stuff haha <laughs> good old India selling bits of tawdry old cloth around the cemetery you would expect no less We've just paid our 520 rupees to come into the palace, the World Heritage Site of the Palace of Akbar. And it contains three major buildings, each one belonging to his three main wives, one of which was Hindu, one Christian and one Muslim. The first one we see is the Hindu palace, Jodhbai's palace. As before, all made in red sandstone as we walk through wide walkways, arches, not quite as extravagant as the mosque, but still decorated. And we're going to take a tour around the first palace. Got to find a way in first. Well, I have to say there's a lot to be said for World Heritage Sites. We've managed to get away from the madding crowd and the touts and the screaming and shouting. And we're now in the palace proper and all of a sudden there's a distinct lack of screaming and shouting kids and uh, as I say that cue the screaming children yeah there's a lot to be said for world heritage obviously for obvious reasons helps maintain these beautiful palaces but it also keeps away the masses it sounds so snobby of me doesn't it but it's just disheartening to see People climbing all over these ancient temples and uh, mosques and rubbing their hands on inlaid, beautiful inlaid stonework and uh, seeing the results of it and it's um, destroying these buildings. So good old UNESCO, eh? Now I'm sitting on the west side of the Palace of Jodhbai. Akbar's favourite wife and his Hindu wife, and she didn't do too badly, I have to say. It's an enormous courtyard, not as big as the one, obviously, that we saw at the mosque, but it's a fairly heavy, heavily built palace round a courtyard, oblong-shaped, I would say, 200 metres by 100 metres, and 
buildings all the way around it in huge slabs of red sandstone. Covered walkways all the way around. Columns, again, decorated. And I'm told, I don't have a guide because I couldn't face being talked at for the entire trip. So I'm just using a good old Lonely Planet here. But we are told that it blends traditional Indian, Islamic and turquoise features. We've got Indian columns. By Indian, I guess it means the same as the ones we've seen over in Jaipur and at the Andinagra. Uh, and it says it has Islamic couplers. Uh, yeah, on the roof we can see those. And there's turquoise, blue, Persian roof tiles, which I've yet to discover, but when I do, I'll let you know. So it's, um, it's a blend of, ver- of the best of, of, of what was available at the time. And we're in a World Heritage Site now, so it's a lot less crowded. There aren't people trying to sell us things and flog things. And it's a little quieter, I'm hoping, this recording you'll be able to hear. It's in very good condition. There's not a, there's not a tiny bit of rubbish anywhere. There are potted plants around the courtyard, and the place is spotless. It's um, great to see such a place so well looked after. No access to the upper floors here, but I've just stepped back and seen that on one of the roofs there is remnants of a turquoise blue colour, which I guess must be the Persian roof tiles. And as I look up, um, we've got a much paler sandstone, a creamy yellow coloured sandstone, which has got the remains of some decorated, looks like painted decoration around it. This is on the outside of the building, so it would be hard to keep it against the elements. Jamie, can you explain to me why people find it necessary to come to places like this and shout at each other? Uh, it's beyond my comprehension. I keep trying to find somewhere that's a little bit quiet, but it just takes two people. And uh, because it's all stone and quadrants and stone walls, the echo is appalling and it just sounds like it's much worse than it is. But there are not that many people here. I was just explaining that... The advantage of it being a World Heritage Site is that it keeps out a lot of the, the marauding masses and the, uh, the touts and, and also perhaps makes people a bit more aware of how important these are and so they're a bit more respectful of it. Do you think that sounds snobby? Am I being a bit superior with that kind of attitude? Uh, I don't think it's superior. I think it's just an observation because it, it's true. It costs a lot to go into the World Heritage Sites, so... If you're going to spend all that money coming in, I suppose you're going to be a little bit more reverent. It's going to keep out people who can't afford it, which of course isn't fair, but it does mean that those of us who can afford it are lucky enough to enjoy it more than we can other places where the noise is almost, I don't know, deafening, puts you off a bit. It does put you off a bit, doesn't it? So here we are in one of the um, buildings on the side of the courtyard and there are three balconies inside a large high-ceilinged room which is open to the front with four columns extremely highly decorated. Um, the balconies I can only describe as sort of Juliet balconies I suppose, terraced, not really terraced as we have in the Islamic residences, just um, prettily uh, uh, carved terraces, um, balconies sorry, three of them. And then there's an upstairs which we can't get to. It's been blocked off for us. But very cool. Very red. 
red sandstone and more decorated than other parts of this establishment. So whether this would have been one palace and the opposite side another palace, I'm not sure. They are both on two floors. In fact, the the fort, there's like you've got a quadrant here, a big quad, as I said earlier, and then in the middle of each of the four sides there are two-storey buildings and at the corners there are heavily domed buildings as well so this is her palace she had a, an awful lot of room in here to do whatever it was she did and she was able to keep cool any time of the day because wherever the sun went there was always one of the four main areas that was in the shade I should think she had a pretty good time actually she's one of many wives his favourite wife huge area I should think she had a lot of staff she would have been fed all the most delicious things that she could want she would have been bathed and clothed there are lots of little alcoves all around the place which no doubt will have had offerings and I don't know, statuary and uh, perhaps all her favourite trinkets I think it would have been pretty good being Akbar's favourite missus to be honest with you well we've left Jod Byers palace the enormous great area that took up a good half an hour of wandering and we've now ended up in the christian wife's palace we don't get even we don't even get her name and if i was a christian wife i think i'd feel a little bit snubbed because it's basically a glorified villa uh, it's very pretty uh, domed ceilings there's remnants of some and rather nice paintings and nice and cool and airy but it's basically a house Jamie what do you think? Well, the first thing that I noticed was the medieval uh, style painting on the ceiling and I don't know if that's by design or by accident that uh, this is obviously the Christian wife's house clearly she didn't um, perform her duties as well as his Hindu wife because her place is rather plain and uh, much much smaller and far less elaborate than his Hindu wife's uh, palace so yeah I think I'd be a bit miffed if I were her. I've just discovered that she has got a name and she was Mariam. She was from Goa where we've been and not only that she gave birth to the great Jahangir so uh, she did all right even though she didn't have the best house she was obviously very popular because she gave birth to his son Jahangir. Opposite Mariam's little quarters, her pretty little palace, there's an entrance which you walk down a couple of stairs and into another vast courtyard. And in front of you is an ornamental pond which is staggeringly beautiful and would have been great with all the water flowing in. There are channels which were from where the water would have flowed into the pond and I should imagine there would have been fountains and the pond would have been continually replenished with fresh water. It's a bit green at the moment but it is very, very beautiful with an enormous pond area, uh, sorry, an enormous island area in the middle of Square Island in the middle of the pond which is highly decorated and four bridges either side. It's a square shallow stairs going down into the water where one would have bathed and if one didn't want to get wet one simply walked across the bridge to the island in the middle where I should think they sat probably shaded too hot at the moment to sit out there in the summer of course it would be unbearable and I'm standing at the moment in Akbar's private apartments which consist of two rooms down below and one up the top and then there's a terrace which we can't get up to um, it suggested that he would have dined in here 
and kept his books. There are plenty of recesses for books and other trinkets and whatnots. Quite low, actually. There's a shrieking woman going past me. Um, quite, quite low ceiling. Quite low, small columns. It's quite surprising, actually. It seems a little cramped after his Hindu wife's place. But what an incredible view he had. Straight across the pond, straight across an enormous courtyard to some more very fancy redstone buildings in front of us, which we'll go and have a look at in a moment. does look fantasy-like. I don't know if you've seen the film The Fall, which was directed by um, a guy whose name I can't remember. He directed The Cell as well. Famous film director. He's only done three or four films. Anyway, The Fall was shot in a lot of um, fantastical places in, uh, around India, in fact, around the world. I don't remember if this was one of those places, but it certainly has that feel about it, otherworldly. The film you're referring to, The Fall, was directed by Tarsim Singh, and you are correct, parts of the film were indeed filmed in Fatapasikri. And I've since discovered that The Fall was also filmed in Agrafort, where we were last week, as well as Jantamantar in Jaipur, where we were the week before. Other places The Fall was filmed in that we cover in our podcast adventures include Maranga Fort in Jodhpur, Lake Picola in Udaipur, the Himalayas... Other places it was filmed in, which were still yet. To we'll visit. leave Jamie with that list of locations and return to the splendour of Akbar's palace. On the opposite corner of the ornamental pond, within a spit and a hop from um, Akbar's palace, is his third wife's palace, which is the tiniest, but it is incredibly well proportioned, simple cube shape, with um, two longer areas coming out at, um, at right angles to each other where their co- columns hold up a deep ceiling and what makes it really special is the carving in the, in the, in the red sandstone is really intricate we've got very Moorish kind of um, Islamic carvings all over it, every single inch of the building is covered in carving, really intricate from very sort of um, geometric shapes to sort of star shapes and where I'm standing at the moment on one of these columns it looks like a vine with grapes growing all the way up it the ceiling it's like it's almost like wood the way it's the color of this red limestone and the intricate carving makes it look like wood it's a really really pretty palace and I should think she enjoyed a great uh, life here, right next to the pool, right near to her husband, overlooking the main area of the whole complex. Although he was her favourite, the Hindu wife's palace, Jodhbai, is a little further out from the others. They call it here Anup Talau, this is the pool, a peerless pool called Kapur Talau by Jahangir, is a pretty tank. It's 29.10 metres square, in its centre is a balustraded platform approached by four causeways, as I call them bridges, supported on short stone pillars completed in 1575. It was intended for imperial amusement and private functions, and I should imagine they had a great time in there. Jamie and I have just seen a turtle swimming through what now is rather green and um, rather dirty-looking water, but it can't be that bad if there's a turtle living in it. 
So this whole complex out here with um, the pool and his palace or his apartments and uh, his Muslim wife's palace covers a vast area and there are lots of other buildings within the area which we're going to have a walk around now. Well, we've just walked across the courtyard, which apparently is supposedly where Akbar played an ancient game of Ludo, and for counters he used slaves. Certainly big enough to use humans, I would imagine, and I'm sure he amused himself with his slaves in lots of ways in this area. We've just walked across the courtyard from his Muslim wife's palace to Akbar's, what is called in the Lonely Planet, Hall of Private Audiences. However, here in front of us, we've got an inscription um, by the local... Um, archaeological authority and they do say that it's not really known what this building is for simple cube shaped building from the outside although simple I, I wouldn't really say it was simple in my opinion it's quite elaborately carved but the shape is a simple cube four ways in and inside what's really strange in the middle there's a um, quite a wide carved column to about 10 feet and intricately carved all the way around then it flares out to a diameter of about six or eight feet at a, at a height of around ten feet and then from that there are four arms that go to the corner of each of, this, of the cube as a kind of walkway and inside again it's all highly decorated with a lot of carving and no one really knows what it was for they, they're saying here that it was um, in this guide that it was, uh, it was for private audiences but the, I'm told from from the inscription outside that it could have been used for anything and there are lots of debates about what it was really used for because it is the only one of its kind in the whole of India and of all this architecture ever they've never found another building with this very strange column and the radiating pathways to the corners it really is staggering and I should imagine this has contributed partly to it becoming a world heritage site because it's so unusual Next to it is, is um, another flat area, which is the um, area for public audiences, which we've seen in most of the forts and the palaces, with a raised dais area for the king and other raised areas for his important people, and then a flat courtyard area where people would have come for public audience. But you do get the impression that this place is more of a, for fun and for enjoyment rather than being a garrison. It's got three palaces belonging to the three beautiful queens it's got courtyards where you play ludo with slaves it's got a very unusual looking cubed room with this extraordinary column in the middle highly decorated it's beautiful we love it here we think this is one of the best places we've seen um, if only very slightly ruined by the enormous amount of noise that the tourists are making here there's a kiosk area on five floors across from here on our right looking across back over to the courtyard um, the bottom layer has 84 columns, all of which are different, I am told, although I'm not going to check myself. And the top layer is just one kiosk height. This was really just a pavilion and, and a fun place. Again, giving, an, giving the idea that this was more of a, a living and fun area to be, rather than the garrisons and the forts that we've visited before. So opposite the square building that nobody knows the real purpose of, it's the treasury, which has got three main rooms, and within between each room, there's a there are corridors and doors, 
And within each of the rooms, there are recesses, and some of the recesses have been broken over t- open to reveal that they are hollow, and it's reckoned that quite likely they were used for storing all the goodies um, hidden beneath stone, so people didn't know they were there. Large building, high and airy, and would have been full of the guys who looked after all the dosh back then. One of the entrances has got some very ornate uh, workings between four large columns. Apparently I read that they're supposed to be based on a serpent, a sort of Hindu serpent idea. And it's a square edifice sort of tacked onto this very chunky, strong building. And doesn't look to me as though it's really part of it, but it's there. And maybe it was a greeting or a sitting area outside but very different to the rest of the inside, which is, which is quite slabby, straightforward, and um, certainly for working in and not decorated at all. I'm sitting on the bottom layer of the Panch Mahal, which is the five-floored pavilion, and I'm looking at the 84 columns, and I reckon that each stone carver was given a different column and he came up with a different capital because they seem to be mostly the same at the bottom and through the column but it's the capitals that are all different and you've got some that are single some that are double and there's even one or two with four columns in one area so I think perhaps each stone carver was given free reign to come up with his own design but it's incredibly cool in here, quite low, very dark. The sun would never penetrate in here, so it's constantly cool, and as a pavilion would be a great place to simply come away from it all and just relax. We'll leave Liz relaxing in that wonderful location. All we can say is how much we recommend Fatima Sikri as a place to visit, so please do make the 40-kilometre drive out from Agra to see it. You will not be disappointed. Next week, we return to Agra and find ourselves at the front of the queue for tickets to the Taj Mahal. Follow the Boat is a travelogue covering our exploits both at sea and on land. The podcasts are just a small part of our personal odyssey. We invite you to visit followtheboat.com and share our adventure.